It's Wednesday, June 3rd. We're studying 2 Peter. We're in 2 Peter chapter 3. And as you might remember, we're looking at what the scoffers or the mockers are saying. They're denying the truthfulness of God's word, in particular Christ's promise of his return. They're saying, where is the promise of his coming here? Verse number 4. Uh, they're saying, you know what, everything is going to go on just as it did before. They're going to follow their own sinful desires, uh, which we saw was a characteristic also of the false teachers in the church. I think this may be a different group of people. Nevertheless, they're enemies of the cross, and they are to uh, be identified in the minds of Christians so that we don't fall to what they're saying. And all of us, I think, have encountered these folks that think that we're crazy for believing what we believe. And when they are scoffing like that and saying such things, it says in verse number 5, they deliberately overlook a lot of things, including the creation of the world, that the heavens existed long ago, that the earth was formed out of water, through water, by the word of God, how easy it was for God to create just by the word of his power. We're in the middle of this sentence here. Now we're going to get the rest of it in verse number six. And that, by means of these, and we'll look at that in a second, that demonstrative pronoun, the world that then existed was deluged or flooded with water and perished. So we want to understand what's going on here. In particular, we'd like to know what this demonstrative pronoun is, these. Okay, well, let's look back at the context here, verse number five. They deliberately overlooked this fact that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. Now, a couple of views here on this. You could see this as a uh, referent back to the antecedent, back to this pronoun, these, uh, and yet that's a singular and this is a plural. Um, which is really in Greek, the word here. Uh, you could talk about, well, the word of God and water, and you could say that. You could say, well, those two things, by means of the water that was flooding, or that was uh, the uh, means of creation, the material of creation, and the word of God, those things. Or you can say, as some would recommend, that there's really two references to water here, formed out of water and through water, the point of the waters, which you do see in Scripture as a plural in terms of the two distinctions, as I'll show you here in Genesis chapter 1. Uh, it says in Genesis 1, 6, remember this from yesterday, let there be an expanse in the midst of the waters. This is going to create two. It's going to separate the waters from the waters. So you're going to have water above and water below. Verse 7, God made the expanse and separated the waters that were under the expanse and the waters that were above the expanse. So you got above and you got under, and so it was, and God called the expanse in between the two heaven or the sky, Shemayan, the Hebrew word for this space in between. In Genesis chapter 7, when you see the flood, which is what we're talking about, the flood here, the deluge, in verse 11, in the 600th year of Noah's life, the second month and the 17th day of the month on that day, all the fountains of the great deep, verse 4, this is the waters below, and the windows of the heavens were open and the rain fell on the earth for 40 days and 40 nights. So some would argue that what we're talking about, these here, the plural antecedent, uh, pronoun reaching back to an antecedent is in verse number uh, five, the waters, the waters above and the waters below, because both of those were basically sandwiching the earth with water from above and from below. Um, you remember back in our passage here, just to think of, and I'm recommending that that's one of um, at least two legitimate grammatical antecedents. 
I guess I should make that point. The idea is I mean, the, the word in water could certainly be the which and or the these in English or um, the waters above and waters below, which is a provocative way to look at this. At least it's interesting and new for most people to consider that who haven't looked at it closely. Second Peter chapter 2, verse 5. I just want to make this point here and at least underscore this, the world that existed. Um, the world that existed. Um, literally, the, the Greek sentence here, the, the then world, it's a pretty strong way to speak about it, the, the world that then existed, the, the that world, the old world. I want to look back into 2 Peter chapter 2, because of course we had God's judgment paralleled to that's coming on the false teachers, paralleling the judgment that God brought on the Old Testament world at the flood. And here is another way to put it, another phrase here in the text of 2 Peter, God did not spare the ancient world, um, which literally we get the, the transliteration of the English word archaic from this. It's the archaic world, the, the world before. There seems to be a strong distinction here uh, between these uh, two worlds, the world that then existed, the then world literally, or the ancient world, the archaic world. And I think that might even help us understand that this pronoun here goes back to uh, the idea of a different world altogether that had waters above and waters below that ended up being utilized by God with his word to flood the world. Um, the ancient world, this old world, and I tried to make this distinction between the old pre-flood world, they call it the antediluvian world or the post-diluvian world after the flood, by looking at how different this, different this was in terms of ages and we don't have a ton of ages, but we have several of them, and they're all uniquely old, right? 930, 912, 905, Enoch who gets taken in the middle of his life, which is bizarre to think about at 365 years. Methuselah, almost 1,000, Lamech, Noah. These are super old ages. And then after the flood, it immediately takes a precipitous drop to where we start to get near the 100 mark, uh, and that is a, a big transitional event which separates this world here from this world here uh, in the ancient world. And I do think that as we looked at this chart, you might remember this, the, the precipitous drop of the longevity of people in the Bible. It's just an interesting observation to make about how different this world was. If you think about the radiation that kills us as the sun beats down on us, there was something about the waters above that were collapsed and made very different after the flood that affected everything on the earth. There's this world, the B world, if you will, and then there was the A world, which is very different, the ancient world, the pre-flood world, and that is a uh, big distinction. And I'm not necessarily saying it doesn't include the Word of God, because I think we see that throughout when we look at this word, these, by the Word of God and the waters. We may have three things in view here, the water above, the water below, that's a category, and then the Word of God. And these will all come into play as we'll see, um, well, at least the fact that God is going to, with His Word, destroy the world. So, yeah, what happened? God deluged the, with water and, and flooded this world and everyone here perished with the exception, of course, of Noah and his family. And I just should underscore what's being taught in this section, and that is if you think, well, there's no way Christ is coming back because it's been a long time. We talked about how foolish that is as an argument in and of itself just because something hadn't happened um, in a long time doesn't mean it's not going to happen. And when you look at the argument that Peter is making here, how easy is it for God to change things? He made the world with a word. He destroyed the world with a word, 
And um, his intention here in Genesis 6, which nothing is going to thwart in verse number 7, he just makes a decision. The volitional action of God. I will blot out man whom I created from the face of the land and man and animals and creeping things and birds. Uh, and I'm sorry, it's an anthropomorphic way of looking at it, a way we would humanly speak of God saying that was a bad thing. I feel bad. It's, it's a uh, grievous thing that I did this, made people and they went so wrong. Not that it's outside the purview of God's sovereignty or his oversight, but just a statement to help us understand the pain involved in this, as verse 6 had said, which we didn't get here on the screen. In Genesis 7, verse 4, then, of course, he not only purposes to do it, then he does it. I mean, even seven days before, he says, For in seven days I'm going to send rain on the earth, 40 days and 40 nights every living thing that I've made it will blot out from the face of the ground. I mean, those are huge promises made by God who, with a word, decides to do this, and then he does. Look at this section here in Genesis chapter 7, verses 19 through 23. The waters prevailed so mightily on the earth that all the high mountains under the whole heaven were covered. The waters prevailed above the mountains, covering them up to 15 cubits deep, 20 feet plus, and all flesh died and moved, and all flesh died that moved on the earth, birds, livestock, beasts, swarming creatures, swarms on that swarm on the earth, and all mankind, everything on the dry land, whose nostrils was the breath of life, they died. He blotted out every living thing that was on the face of the ground, man and animals, creeping things, and the birds of heaven, they were blotted out from the earth. Only Noah was left, and those were with him on the ark. The point is, if you don't think Christ is going to come back, which means judgment for those who reject him, and the mockers, and the scoffers, and the false teachers, and salvation for those who trust him, um, you don't think back to the way that God has radically transformed this world at the flood. And that, by the way, is a universally, in ancient cultures, recognized event. I mean, there's like 500 cultural flood stories, um, and it doesn't mean that the Bible gathered those together and expressed them. It means it was, an, it was a factual thing, that all the descendants of Noah talked about the, the, the fact, the truth of the flood. And so, uh, not to mention, uh, you know, we, all the stuff that we find, the sea life, the clams, the, 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 the fossils of um, fossil fuels, even the burying of biological material quickly by the flood, uh, covering them with sediment. We have sedimentary layers all over the planet. I mean, there's a lot of geological evidence for this catastrophe, which modern geologists like to talk about as something like an asteroid that hit the earth and created a nuclear winter and killed off the dinosaurs and you know created an ice age all these theories when the bible has been promoting what every culture has recognized ancient cultures have seen that and have talked about through the history of their culture that there was a universal flood a flood where god decided to deluge the world with a word and that's all it took. And he did it through the means of water, just like he created the world with the canvas, if you will, the modeling clay, if you will, of, of, the, of the earth and the water. And God makes the world, and then he deluges or floods the world in um, just an instant with the word of his, his power. Now, Jesus, I wanted to point you to Matthew chapter 24, verses 37 and following, when Jesus affirms the truth of this, which I think God reveals this, he clearly expresses this as history, and then Christ comes on the scene, does miracles, raises people from the dead, predicts his own death, rises from the dead, and he believes and asserts the historicity and the factual nature of Noah. I think you would be wise to trust in that. And as I asked my geology professor, I remember, I think it was the second course I had taken with him at the University of Arizona, doesn't all the evidence match a universal flood? Uh, wouldn't a flood fit this? All the flood stories in anthropology they talk about, won't it 
fit all the evidence in geology uh, as he was positing in front of the class. It was a big class at the university. You know, probably a meteor hit the Earth, and that's what caused all these uh, these ge geological. Um, evidentiary uh, facts and, and artifacts that we have. And he said, well, I w and I talked to him after the class about this. He said, well, I, I wouldn't want to believe that. I wouldn't think that would be the case because, you know, that comes from the Bible, which it comes from a lot more than the Bible through other uh, cultural stories, as I've said. But nevertheless, it was interesting that the bias, a deliberate overlooking in my mind of uh, the truthfulness of something that matches all the evidence. So all I'm saying is you got Jesus here not only talking about the factual historical nature of Noah, but he speaks of it in parallel to what Peter is trying to point out, who sat there and heard these words of Jesus. Uh, it's going to be that way with the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving in marriage until the day Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. Well, they were purposefully and deliberately unaware because they certainly knew and they had heard and they'd watched Noah, at least those who were nearby, build this ark and his men. And I'm sure he was very wealthy and he had all these people working on this ark. And I can only assume. And so they were purposefully uh, surprised. At least they were surprised because of their purposeful disbelief. And he says, so it will be. So it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. So it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. And this connection between the ancient world being destroyed with the word of God's power through the means of water is now going to be shifted, as we're going to see in the next verse, from water to fire. God, of course, had promised never to destroy the earth again with water. He's very specific about that in the Noahic covenant. But now we have the promise of the destruction of the world by fire, which is not something to be mocked or scoffed at, because just as God deluged or flooded the world with a word of his power through the means of water, so it is that God can take the means of fire and do the same thing with a word of his power. So a good reminder for us to think carefully through what God has said, and not to doubt the word of God and understanding the truthfulness of his word that Jesus affirms by his very credentials as being the one who not only heals but rises from the dead. It is a good thing for you to spend the rest of your life in the modern world asserting the truthfulness of the flood, not only the flood, but of creation, and not only creation, but the second coming of Christ, which is the issue on the table here in 2 Peter chapter 3. So some very interesting verses ahead in verses 7 and following. We'll be back tomorrow, Lord willing, to continue our study through the book of 2 Peter. Be sure to share these videos if they've been any help to you or an encouragement or helpful in your spiritual growth or your handle on the Word of God. We'd love to see more people ingesting and, and uh, partaking of the knowledge and the insight of God's Word here in 2 Peter. So until then, we'll see you 